This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as the announcer just said, this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's going on in your heart or your mind. Um, Call us at uh, our phone numbers and we'll do the best we can to answer. Here's the numbers. 210-340-9585. That's 340 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877 630 KSLR, numerically at 630 5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can go uh, to our free mobile app, Calvary Chapel, and uh, send your questions to us that way. If you're driving in your car, it's always safest to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Um, this is going to be a hard week. I'll just tell you up front, it's a hard week. It's, it's Good Friday week. It's Easter Sunday week. And uh, the result of that, of course, we're going to be sitting with empty um, chairs again and uh, there isn't anybody who would have dreamed that this would have gone on so long, and now it seems like the end is nowhere in sight. So just remember, um, this is our time as believers to draw near to the Lord. Use this time to know Him better, to get some answers to some prayers that you've been praying, uh, get some direction, maybe just have some fellowship with Jesus. Use this week the most holy week on the Christian calendar. Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Well, let's uh, go before I go into answering some questions that were sent in. I think I've got a caller holding. we got Scott from Von Army on line one. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Good to Hi, Scott. You. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I've got a question for you today. Um, okay. In Revelation 21.1, um, it speaks, I saw a new heaven, not plural, and new earth. First heaven and first earth had passed away. And it's not plural there. And I was kind of doing a, a word search for heaven and heavens and uh, trying to, to really nail down, is, is this like the he- heaven as far as the atmosphere around earth and space? Or is it just the atmosphere around Earth? Um, but I ran into some other things, too, that I didn't, I'd never noticed before. In the King James Version, in Genesis, it, it talks about um, it, it, it's uh, heaven without the S. In the, in the New King James, it talks about how God created the heavens and the Earth. And, of course, mm-hmm. we know, in both, they, they talk about Paul and the third heaven. So we know it mentions, you know, multiple heavens in, in both versions. But... Um, that's kind of a secondary question that asks. The first one is, is what the, the heaven without the S on it, non-plural, the new heaven, what does that really represent in Revelation 21.1? Yeah. Scott, it's, it's a very specific, it is singular, and it's very specific um, to something that is created brand new from scratch. So um, he, Revelation 21, of course, is the, the reversal of, of all the curse. The judgment has occurred. Uh, the earth has been cleansed. The thousand-year millennium is over. And it's time for something new. And what that means is that we're going to get a whole new order of things, uh, things that we can't begin to understand. Um, the, the new heaven, singular, 
it is going to be the place where um, where, where where Jesus abides um, forever and ever and ever. It's a place that we can go and pass between that and the new earth. So, uh, but but it's, it's very specifically single and uh, not plural in the sense that it is a completely new creation altogether. Now, that word is often used in other places, and you, you indicated a couple of them, Scott, um, to, to indicate the sky uh, and all the things visible. When Paul talks about it, I, I went to the third heaven, he talks about the abode of God, um, but the first heaven would be the sky that we see. The second heaven would be what we call outer space. But but in this particular case, this is a very specific um, um, creation for something brand new, bigger, better than anything that we can possibly imagine. And it's just sort of God saying, okay, we're going to do this all over. You know, when he created everything in Genesis, um, um uh, we, we can't begin to imagine how perfect things were. When God saw it and said that it was good uh, from his perspective, we can't imagine that. Well, we're going to actually get to live it with a new heaven and a new earth. And that's why it's going to be a completely new order of things, um, not connected to completely new, uh, but not connected to anything that we understand. You know, we think of heaven as being a great place. And, and of course it is. Paul said he saw things there, inexpressible things, things that man's not permitted to tell. Well, the new heaven from Revelation 21 is going to be a completely different um, type of new, and the same thing will be true of the new earth. So, Scott, that's the idea there, but the, um, um, the, the, the singular rather than the plural is, is completely intentional. Does that help? Yes, it does. How about in the, uh, the the King James and the New King James, where King James doesn't use an S in all of that? Is there? Do you have any insight on that? Or in, I'm, I'm sure I'll be asked that question one day. So I'd just like to know how to answer it. Okay, now let me understand your question. The King James uses an S where? Um, actually, in Genesis uh, one one, um, uh-huh. several places. I marked a few of them. Um, one 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 nine. One, like in the beginning, God created the heaven is in the King James heaven and yeah. the earth, and the New King James it's heavens s and the earth, and I think the NIV and the other other ones yeah. also put in the s, but the King James okay. version yeah. doesn't. Yeah, I, I understand the question. I, it's just a different translation of the Hebrew word in Genesis chapter one, and uh, the idea there is it's you know there are words that are plural. And and, um, and and some that are singular. Um, so um, when the King James is just translating from the from the majority manuscripts, uh, and and they have it exactly right, a new heaven. It was brand new, and it is also intended to be singular. Um, the NIV translates um, um, uh, that as though because there were three looking on, let us make man in our image. Uh, you know, they're taking the perspective of of uh, all three of them recognizing the new heavens and the new earth. But but I think that's a bad translation. It is singular and it ought to be singular because that's that's all they're making. So uh, I don't think there's any intention there by the newer manuscripts other than uh, I just think they're taking the word as all comprehensive. But nothing nothing there to uh, to to make note of. OK. So is it the proper way to say that, that it would be heaven and not heavens, like in Genesis 1-1? Yes, in, in Genesis 1-1, heaven singular Okay. Is, okay. Is, right. is, is what's intended. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. You, God Scott. bless you, brother. Uh-huh. God bless you, too. Mm-hmm. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, I've received... Um, um, several questions about this COVID-19 epidemic that we're going through. So I'm going to make a quick statement here, sort of as a summary of the several questions that I've received, rather than go through all the questions over and over. Frankly, I'm talk of hearing, tired of hearing about the, this this pandemic. I'm tired of, of, of hearing nothing but bad news. And I'm not a guy that puts my head in the sand and just tries to pretend it doesn't exist. It's just that the enemy is using this to get our mind off things above 
And frankly, if he can frighten us, and he's doing a really good job with the help of our news media, with the help of our governing officials, I mean, it's almost can you top this with these dire predictions. Um, So let me just deal with this one time, and uh, hopefully I'll answer uh, all of the questions in it. Uh, The questions deal with, is this a plague from God? Are we in the end times? Um, Is this the Great Tribulation? Those kind of things. I want to be really, really clear here. Um, As Christians, as believers, we're not going to see anything about or during the Great Tribulation. So this is not the Great Tribulation. This also is not a plague sent from God. I mean, Christians are going to die in this thing and have died in this thing uh, already. I got a, a, a heartbreaking email um, Saturday morning from a, a pastor friend of mine in a small town in Oregon. And he said, you know, it became really real to us as we lost the man in his late 40s, early 50s, left behind four grown kids and, uh, and uh, uh, a wife. And um, I mean, he was a good, godly man. And, and, and obviously they're hurting. Um, you know, a plague from God or a judgment from God won't fall on the righteous. That's why the, the, the rapture of the church is going to happen before the wrath of God is poured out. We're not appointed under wrath, but uh, we're appointed for salvation. And so um, we need to understand that. So this is not a plague from God. Now, having said that, this is a plague that God is going to use. I mentioned in my program last week, and I think the end of the week before, that um, I I think God is going to use this epidemic, this pandemic, to shake his church out. I think he's going to get the attention of the whole world, but I think he's shaking his church out. And by that, I mean he's preparing us for these last days. We're in the last days. And I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is coming pretty soon. He can come at any moment. But as long as we're still here, for all of you that ask this question, as long as we're still here, we're not experiencing the plague of God. What God wants us to do is shake up our routines. He wants to kind of shake us out of our lethargy, our spiritual lethargy. He wants us to be in that place where we can be on the front lines. It's it's really a battle cry, a call to war. And I think we in the United States of America are probably the least equipped Christians on the face of the earth to go to war. It's been too easy. We're not tough enough. We're soft. We'd rather look at YouTube videos then really dig into God's Word. We don't want to make anybody uncomfortable by sharing Jesus with them. We might possibly offend them. I think God is using this time where we cannot be together in fellowship. Now make no mistake, fellowship is a wonderful thing and we're to be involved in our churches. But now we're in a time that we couldn't even imagine. I saw a couple of ladies, uh, fourth grade moms today when I came into the church building and they were picking up, dropping off homework or picking up homework or something for their kids who were doing online school like I think many of the schools are. And um, I miss them. But this is forcing us to reconnect with the Lord, Paul and I. We, we can't blame busyness. We can't just do what we've always done, you know, sort of put it on cruise control. And I don't mean that we were cruising through our lives, but the idea is when things change, it forces you to really seek the Lord. I know I wanted to go out early this morning and, and spend more time out with the Lord. And Paula comes up here and she reads to me and then we can spend some time praying. And now Paula is at home and, and, and she's seeking the Lord. We want direction. We want to hear answers to prayers. This is not a plague from God. This is not the great tribulation. But it's a time when God is calling us to action. Our faith can't simply be a matter of word only. 
I think God is trying to prepare us. Things are going to get back to some semblance of normal in the future. I hope in the near future. But we can't go back to who we were and doing what we were doing in the old normal. I think that's how vital things are. I think that's how timely this virus is. So this isn't the Great Tribulation. This isn't a plague from God. It is a plague that he will use to get our attention. At the same time, he's using this plague to sort of get the whole world to ask. I saw a quote uh, today on my online news feed from a, a singer. I don't need to, to share her name, but uh, uh, it was just uh, during this scare, and she's just had a baby, and she's really, really afraid. She said, I've prayed like I've never prayed in my life. And what God is going to do with her is say, okay, so who are you praying to? So we've got to be ready for this. And I think when things get back to whatever normal is going to look like in the near future, I think we who are believers, we need to be ready to run our race. It's no accident that Paul says at the end of his life, I've fought the good fight, I've finished my race. It's a fight, it's a race. We've got to fight and we got to run. And this coronavirus is forcing us to re-examine our walks with Jesus. So I hope that sort of summarizes the several questions that I've had sent in to me. But what we need to do as believers during this time is be with Jesus, listen for the voice of the Lord. I, Elijah found that it wasn't in the noise that God's voice was. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the thunder and the lightning. It was a still small voice. And with all of my heart, I believe that we've lost the ability to hear that still small voice. We're looking for big things. We're looking for signs. My goodness, as Christians, we go out and buy books about blood moons. And we ought to be embarrassed by that. We need to be prepared for war. The truth of the matter is, now we're not. So every one of us, we can use this time for the battle that lies ahead. Your life, my life, doesn't depend on it because we're going to be with Jesus. But there are the lives of many, 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 many who do depend on us sharing the message with them. Let me say this, this last thing I'll say on this. I'll still, if you have questions, if I'm not being clear, uh, you can call. But I want all of us to know and to really understand as the news gets worse, as the media keeps piling it on, over and over, I heard people, read people today talking about, oh, this could be the worst week, the worst two weeks in the history of the United States. The Surgeon General said, this is our Pearl Harbor moment. I mean, it's as though they're trying to cause us to be so fearful that we can't move. This is when we need to hold on to Jesus. This is the way that God is going to bring the darkness into our own lives so that we can be the light that's necessary. So look up. Your redemption draws near. These things are just the beginning of birth pains. But this isn't the Great Tribulation. We won't be here for it. One question I didn't address in that, and I apologize, I said this would be my last word, but I just remembered, um, uh, is, is the Antichrist going to solve this problem? Um, remember, the Antichrist won't be revealed until we're gone. So I almost hope the answer to your question is yes, because that means we're about to be out of here. In an instant, we'll be out of here. When things get as bad, and, and honestly, there isn't one person in this audience, nor me, there's not one person who ever dreamed that what we're going through now would be possible, where an entire nation, an entire world would shut down. 
that if you're out walking, if you're out doing anything, that you'd be shamed by people for your callous disregard for human life. Impossible even to conceive. And yet here we are. And that's why we need to be tough. That's why we need to be ready. Okay, that's enough, I think. 340-9585, anonymous question. What will the result be if churches lose their tax-exempt status? Um, anonymous, I, I don't know, really. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I've said on this program before that that I think that's in the cards for us. I think uh, especially when... Um, those who don't want churches to be tax-exempt are going to try to maybe even take away our right to move. You know, while they've been meeting online, they can keep meeting online. We don't need to have them uh, their, their tax exemptions for the property taxes and those kind of things. aren't good people. Um, But um, all I know is this. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Um, so if that happens, and I hope that's not the case, I think that would be a huge, huge battle um, in our culture. Um, but here's what I know. If the churches lose their tax exempt status, we'll keep teaching the Bible. We'll keep sharing Jesus with the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. Um, and Jesus will keep doing his work in the church. Remember, Jesus is in the middle of the church. Think about Jesus' letter to the churches, most notably Philadelphia and Smyrna. In the book of Revelation, think about those letters. Jesus was with them. Those that thought they were something, Jesus said, no, 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 you're nothing. But, but those of you who have little strength, I'm with you. So uh, I, I don't know uh, exactly what will happen. I know that it will be difficult. Uh, financially, based on what we have now, but God always meets the need. And this is one of those issues, Anonymous, where I believe that we're trying to look at these questions and we're trying to be so prepared. We're, we're trying to, you know, use grace that God hasn't given us yet. So um, we'll just have to see what will happen. I just know that the church uh, will be here doing its job until that moment when the church is no longer here, when we're out of here. And as I've said a couple times already today in this program, that could be really, really soon. Um, here's a question from Andrew. We're running short on this half of the program, 340-9585. Uh, Andrew says, yesterday you said Calvinism was not heresy. Is the prosperity gospel heresy? Uh, Andrew, this question's been sitting with me for a couple of days. So yesterday, obviously, was the weekend. Um, so uh, I'm not sure what you said, but uh, Calvinism is not heretical. Uh, the prosperity gospel is. Now, here's the problem when we talk about heresy. Um, many, 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 in fact, I would venture to say most uh, people caught up in the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, uh, almost all of those people um, have the real Jesus, the real Father, the real Son, real spirit um, and so they, their faith is in the right people but they don't know who those people are um, the prosperity gospel the prosperity teaching itself is heresy everything Jesus had to go and suffer at the hands of the devil in the abyss and, and emerge as the first born again believer um, all, all that nonsense. Jesus wants you to be rich. He wants you to be healthy. All you got to do is believe it, name it, and claim it type of thing. Yes, all of that is heresy. Um, again, our problem with that is many of those people sitting in those prosperity churches are brothers and sisters in the Lord. So that's really important to understand. And I think when we're talking to those people, we need to just assume that we're speaking to believers. Now, they're carnal believers, just like the church in Corinth, but they are believers. And I think we need to approach them with respect. Um, there's really no value in arguing with them or debating, but just asking them questions, having discussions. So Calvinism is not heresy. 
the prosperity gospel by those who are false teachers is heresy and yet the reality the sad reality Andrew is that a lot of those people who are caught up in this false gospel message are real believers in Jesus Christ and their biggest single biggest ripoff by far is the fact that they don't know who Jesus really is they trust in him they believe they just haven't really gotten to know him yet Hey, well, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 here's a question that just came in from our mobile app it is from mick he says have you seen the new show the chosen if so what are your thoughts is it biblically, biblically accurate, or did they take liberties? Uh, Mick, I've not seen it. Um, I'm unaware. I, um, in fact, I'd like to know what network it's on so that I can look it up and see it. Uh, I can almost guarantee you they took liberties. That's what happens with every show that deals with Jesus. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in, and I'll, I'll see if I can find a, a platform that I can preview it, but I'm always looking for um, good stuff like that. You know, Paul and I, yesterday, you know, there's only so much you can do. And, and, you know, there's no sports, there's no anything that we normally would watch. So yesterday we were watching, looking for faith-based movies, and we, we watched for the second time, we'd seen it in the movie theaters, but the, uh, the movie called The War Room uh, by the Kendrick Brothers. Um, Priscilla Shire stars in it. She's Tony Evans' daughter, one of Tony Evans' daughters. And, um, um, you know, that, that was, it was much better than I remembered it being. Uh, we watched it yesterday. It was much better than I remembered it being. So, Mick, my job now, I'm going to find this show. Uh, if if I, I don't have cable and stuff, I mean, like movie channels on cable, if it's Showtime or HBO or any of those, I won't be able to see it. But uh, I'm going to see what I can do to find it, and, uh, and I'll, I'll review it. I'm interested because I'm always looking for something that's good. So kind of hang in with the program, and when I get a chance to look, I will tell you what I find. Here is a question from James. He says, uh, Pastor Ron, what counsel do you have for a Christian who wants to be married but has been placed by God in an extended time of being single? Um, James, my counsel is to follow after Jesus with every ounce of strength that you have. Now, the desire in your heart to be married has been placed there by God. Now, if he's placed you in this extended time of being single, he's done so to prepare you to fulfill that desire of your heart. So be in training now. It's sort of like baseball players go to spring training before the real season starts. They've got to get ready. Well, right now, get ready. Don't think about the woman you don't have. Think instead about the Jesus you do have. And here's what I always tell people, James, in, in your situation. If they really follow Jesus, Jesus will lead them to the woman that he's preparing for them. That's a neat thing about the Lord. He can be everywhere at once, and, and He's preparing her for you while you're being prepared for her. And that means you need to pursue after holiness. Without it, the Bible says no one will see the Lord. God is trying to, to ready you to be a man who can represent Him to the woman that He's uh, preparing for you. Be in the Word. 
learn more about who he is. Rather than pray for a wife, and it's okay to pray for the wife that you eventually want, but rather than dwell on that prayer, dwell instead on being prepared where you are right now for a moment that he already has the answer to. I know people don't like it when I give them this answer, but but this is a matter of faith. It really is. So you want to be married, it's a good thing. Marriage is to be honored by all. But now is your time. Avoid, certainly I would say this to anybody in any circumstance, but avoid lust, avoid pornography. Um, uh, focus on, on your relationship with Jesus. Um, at your church, James, serve. Understand the value of other people. And when you're ready, God will surprise you. He'll show up with the woman at the exact right time, and you'll know. So God, again, he doesn't waste anything in this extended time of being single. It's sort of a refining time of preparation for you. So that's the best counsel I can give you. Um, Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't resort to worldly ways of trying to find somebody, and by that I mean dating apps and the like. Just follow Jesus and trust him. Lord, you want me to be married? I want to be married, so I'm going to stay with you. You will not be able to miss the woman that God has already knows, or the, the woman that God already knows that he's preparing you for. Um, Oliver, this is an interesting question for you, for me to get, Oliver. You said, my question is about how Calvinists and non-Calvinists can coexist in the SBC. Oliver, I, I have nothing to do with the SBC. I'm sure you know that. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, I, I've often wondered this myself. There's a neo-Calvinist movement, a young um, group of Calvinists who've got a new slant on it, and, and, and they've sort of taken over. The SBC, um, um, men like, uh, not younger men, but men like Albert Moeller and um, others who have sort of brought Calvinism into the SBC, uh, and they've sort of um, conspired together, and I don't mean that in a nefarious way, but they sort of conspired together to, to increase the influence of Calvinists and I think right now, Oliver, there are probably as many, if not more, um, SBC churches that are Calvinists or neo-Calvinists than are not. And I think that's an absolute tragedy. Uh, it never makes sense to me. And uh, honestly, it's it, it, the, the divide is so wide. You know, Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? The divide between a Calvinist view of God and a and the non-Calvinist view of God is such that I don't know how they ever agree on anything. Uh, the current president of the SBC is a neo-Calvinist, J.D. Greer. Um, and I, so I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm only commenting as an observer. I really don't have anything to do with that. We would not allow somebody with Calvinist doctrinal leanings as a pastor in a Calvary Chapel of San Antonio or a Calvary Chapel Church. So I don't know how they could do it. Uh, my producer is saying, I better for the listeners, say the SBC is the Southern Baptist Convention. Thank you for that, Sam. I appreciate the reminder. Not everybody knows what we're talking about. Uh, let's go to Kevin calling on line one from San Antonio. Kevin, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Uh, I'm I'm doing good, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing really well, thank you. Okay, yes. Um, I, I just want to say I, I have a home church, but um, uh, and I faithfully attend. But I have visited y'all a couple times, and I have been uh, a listener to you uh, on K Drive for over ten years. And I just want to say I love you very much. Oh, Kevin, bless your heart. Thank you. I needed to hear that today. Thanks. Okay, thank you, sir. Yes. Um, My question, um, I've been listening to John MacArthur lately, and I've listened to several sermon series of his uh, on divine election and chosen by God. And if if this is the case and God chooses who he wants, why does he tell us to go forth and make disciples of the nation? 
<laughs> and Kevin, you know, there's no answer. To, you, you never get an answer to that question from a Calvinist. Um, a Calvinist, a, a guy like MacArthur, says man has no free will. And, and that seems to negate all of the calls to make a choice. And we can go all the way back to the Old Testament. Choose this day, Joshua said on his farewell to Israel, who you will serve as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Um, I don't know. Now, I can tell you what MacArthur's response to that would be. Well, they share the gospel because it's a command. You know, they don't know if somebody's chosen by God, so they, they don't have any hope uh, that somebody might get saved. But a guy like MacArthur, another one would be Alistair Begg. So, yeah, but we're sharing the gospel because that's the great commission. We're commanded to do it. Though we don't know who's chosen, God does know. And in and, and, and that way, we partner with God in this thing of, of divine election. Um, Kevin, be really, really careful. Uh, I, I admire John MacArthur. He's 50 years of, of faithful service to the Lord. And apart from this issue of election, um, he is um, 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 a, a gifted Bible teacher. Uh, he has produced a lot of fruit for the kingdom. I often will say to people, look, I won't be able to carry his lunch bucket in heaven, the, the, the rewards that he has compared to the rewards that I'll have. However, he is so wrong in his, in his, his ability to discern the character of God based on his doctrine of election, is such that it's stolen all the fruit. And if you listen really closely, and you say you've been listening to him, if you listen really, really closely, what happens as he is getting a little bit older, it just seems like he's angry all the time. And you know, no love, there's no power of the Spirit. And I don't want to finish like that, so just be really, really careful. But the the answer uh, to that question that you asked, you will never get a straight answer from uh, from a Calvinist, and I know Calvinists that are honest enough to say, well, you know, since I don't know who's chosen, I'm not going to share. I had a guy tell me one time, Kevin, that he couldn't couldn't tell somebody that God loved him. And I said, well, what do you mean you can't tell me? For God so loved the world. And his response was, well, I don't know if he's chosen. If God hasn't chosen, then God hates him. And that's just such a gross misrepresentation of God. And... Um, so I, I, I don't know the answer to the question. I've asked it many, many times and never received a satisfactory answer. Does that make sense to you? Th- th- that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that, Pastor Ron. Okay, Kevin. God bless you. Thank you. And uh, okay. if you ever stop by, if you ever stop by again, get in my face so I can say hello and give you a hug. Yes, sir, I will. Thank you, sir. God bless. Thank you, Kevin. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I want to make this really, really clear. I respect John MacArthur. Um, but the doctrine of Calvinism is a joy stealer. It's a fruit destroyer. And, um, you know, you never hear the word grace from a Calvinist without the word sovereign attached to it, which completely in their mind redefines what grace is. Grace is God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. And so uh, just be careful when you're listening. Again, he's got a lot of stuff of great value. You just have to be careful um, what you hear. Michael says, a teacher I listen to a lot has fallen into sin. Is it okay to still listen to his teaching even though I know he wasn't being honest? Uh, Michael, that's such a hard one. I have a really, really difficult time, and I'm just going to make this as personal as I can. Uh, I have a difficult time listening to anybody who isn't living what they're teaching. There are just so many wonderful Bible teachers, wonderful men of God. I don't need to spend time listening to somebody who hasn't let what he teaches change him. So I would not listen to a teacher. I have good friends who fell horribly into sin. One of them is, I think, the most gifted communicator uh, I've ever heard, I've ever listened to, and I've listened to a lot. Um, And it's tempting sometimes, you know, you're struggling with a passage of Scripture, go listen to a message he's done, and I'm just not even interested in doing that anymore. If it won't change the one who's teaching it, why would I want to hear what he has to say? 
one of the things that's happened to me, Michael, is I sort of expanded the list of people that that I listen to occasionally. I don't have a lot of time to listen to anybody. And I'm really careful because I don't want to try to imitate anybody's style or that kind of thing. That's uh, just not who I am. Um, and, and yet, um, you know, I've been around now a long time. And when you get to know some of these people and you realize uh, that they're not really honest, they're not really genuine, um, it just removes all desire to listen to them at all. So I found some other people. You know, Michael, I've uh, I've really grown. I always liked him, but but I didn't listen to him much. But uh, especially with the tragedy of losing his wife, I've uh, I've really really uh, become emotionally attached to Tony Evans, um, um, a man whose ministry's never had a hint of of sin or controversy. Uh, a godly man. He's different than I am. He believes uh, in some different things than I do. But what a wonderful, wonderful, godly man he is. And and that, to me, carries more weight than almost anything. He happens to be a wonderful communicator as well. But, um, um, you know, I would I would listen to him um, preach the phone book, you know. I mean, he's, he's just a, a man who you can tell has been with Jesus. Let me tell you another one, Michael, a local one. In fact, he, his radio program comes on right after this show uh, on, on AM 630. Uh, Randrew Draper from Maranatha Bible Church in, uh, in Converse. Um, I know Randrew a little bit. Uh, every time I'm around him, he lights up the room. He's so full of the joy of the Lord. He's just one of those guys that you can look at and see. Again, he does everything completely different than I do. Um, but, um, man, he tells his church the truth. He loves them, and you can tell he loves his people because he talks to them about sin, about righteousness, about judgment, about repentance. And, um, you know, so we enjoy every time I'm in the car, Paul and I, after this program, we're, we're listening to, to Pastor Rander. He's a good guy, and and, and a good teacher. So um, there's just too many good people out there who are walking the walk and not just talking the talk. I'm not into performers, and uh, so I sympathize, Michael, with you um, a lot. Mike says, is it okay to take communion home during the time churches are closed? Mike, of course it is. We did this yesterday, in fact, uh, uh, the first Sunday of every month is Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, um, on Wednesday's live stream and Friday's live stream, we told people to get ready. We're going to take communion. So have the elements ready. Take them as a family at home. Of course you can. Um, you know, this isn't something that a pastor has to bless. Um, it's okay for you to take communion home um, on a daily basis if that's what you want to do. Jesus didn't tell us how often to do it. He said, but whenever you do. So um, it is perfectly all right. It is a wonderful thing. There's never a wrong time um, to to come to the Lord's table. Um, Unless, of course, your heart is not right with God, then you need to deal with that first. But as a church, we had a a virtual online um, communion service yesterday. And... um, um, you know, we've never missed a communion here at Calvary Chapel. And yesterday was the first time that I wasn't physically with our people. So the few of us who were here, I think we had nine people here uh, yesterday, ten people, I think, because we had some people. We, had, we actually we did, Mike, a great thing. We had a, uh, we've had a few people uh, who've been driving to the church, sitting in their car and watching it on live stream. It just makes them feel like they're connected to their church. And I love the idea and um, uh, yesterday we knew that there would be quite a few people who would be out there, and we had some of our ushers and their kids. They were out uh, doing very safe, very sterile, contactless communion. Um, the, the cars would say how many they got, and the kids would take the communion out to them, never touching the elements. Um, and so we had a bunch of people sitting in the parking lot 
yesterday morning taking communion. So it's always a good thing and uh, continue to do it. Thanks, Mike. Good for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Jacob asks, to what degree is Satan involved in or the cause of the sinful condition of the world? You know, Jacob, I think we have two extremes uh, that we usually take with the devil. One is we give him too much credit. The other is we don't give him enough credit. Uh, Satan's job, and he does it well, is to use everything this world throws at us to try to 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 cause us to to fall away from uh, Jesus, to, to to destroy our fellowship, our relationship, and he is always going to be there tempting. Um, but remember um, that that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world, and so we don't have to give in to Satan's temptations. Uh, he can't touch us physically. The child of God will not be harmed, cannot be touched by the devil without the permission of God. So he is involved, he is a tempter, he is a liar, he is a thief, all of those things, and he's going to use everything he can to try to get you to fall. It is also true that he has a great impact, a hidden impact. I mean, the world doesn't recognize it, but he's got a huge impact on the conditions of the world. Why do you think abortion is um, um, to the degree that we've experienced the numbers of abortions in this country? What do you think is behind um, the June 2015 um, Supreme Court decision to legalize and now to affirm and approve same-sex marriage? That's the enemy pulling the strings. You know, we see, uh, especially in some of the prophets in the Old Testament, that we see uh, the prince, for example, in Ezekiel 20, the prince of Tyre. And then the passage moves down to the king of Tyre. And that's a, uh, the, the prince of Tyre is the human ruler, but the king of Tyre is that territorial demon uh, or, or Satan himself who is behind um, the condition of that part of the world. So Satan is involved. He is wringing his hands. He's always trying to figure out how to mess with us, and he's going to do it. Now, having said that, remember, we have Creator God living in us. We don't have to give in to temptation. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 We don't have to blame Satan for everything that happens. All we have to do is take responsibility for our own lives. And then we are overcomers. The beauty about overcomers, read the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. He who is he that overcomes, only he that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that's first John five five. John also wrote Revelation and the promises that are made to overcomers are glorious. So he is involved. He is involved to a large degree, but he's not the cause of it. Remember, he's not the one who is ultimately in control of this world. It is God Almighty who's in control of this world. We're inside three minutes. I don't know where the time goes. Uh, Randy wants to know, who does um, oh, well, let me take a phone call, Randy. I'll get to your question tomorrow. Let's go to Thomas on line one from San Antonio. Thomas, you got in just under the wire. Welcome to the show. I'll make you quick, Ronnie. Hi, how you doing, my brother? And uh, doing well. You, thank you. You were just touching on something. Thanks. I'm great. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, I heard about it. Like, there's what you just touched about it. Like uh, Satan and, and a demon. There's a demon assigned to certain parts of the world and stuff like that. So that's really true, and that goes wherever we're at when they try to make us fall, correct? It seems so, yes. Yeah, that, that was all, uh, Pastor. And you know what? I just I heard about that many years ago, and uh, I, so I guess it's true then. You know, I mean, it is what it is, but uh, God, he's in, in us as great as he's of the world, so... All right, thank you so much, Pastor. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Thomas, 
Thomas, thank you very, very much. Uh, I don't have time for another question, so let me kind of expand on that. When I said it seems so, we, we have to understand that there is a lot about the, the, the spiritual warfare going on that we can't see in the invisible realm that we don't know about, we can't understand. It appears that there are demons, very powerful demons, over certain areas uh, of the world, uh, different territories. Um, um, the Old Testament seems to be um, replete with those kind of examples. But again, it's given to us in such general language that we cannot be sure. Here's what we know for sure. Um, he, the devil, is the ruler of the air, the prince of the air. Uh, the stuff that comes through the the media, the, the the radio airwaves. I mean, the devil hates it when a program like this goes out. Um, but truthfully, um, we just don't understand. Daniel chapter 10 is a great, great chapter to get a little bit of insight into things that we don't know anything about. The, the, the battle, the Daniel prayer held up, the answer to prayer held up for 21 days and Michael the archangel had to be dispatched. So uh, it appears that there are territorial demons. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Remember to reach out to somebody, ask them how they're doing, tell them you love them, and maybe you can pray for one another in these difficult times. God bless. See you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Ron is the word to stand on.